0: Iowa,
1: Iowa. Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. Hey, like, baby, me. 264
0: days, 6,336 hours, 37 weeks I 5 days or 72% of 2017. This is how long it's been since Penn State traveled away from Beaver Stadium for a football game. And yet here we are tomorrow kicking off in Iowa at Kinnick Stadium for a 7.30 game under the lights. Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz here to wrap up your Iowa week on a Friday episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Really been a good week for the Lions, as we've heard from practice. It's been a good week for us, um, and we are really happy with the episode we've got lined up here for today. For those of you not familiar, this is the rundown that we typically go with on Fridays. We've got tweet of the week, quote of the week, recruiting news, talk about when Penn State has the ball, what to look for, when Iowa has the ball, and our 3-2-1 preview. Three matchups, two concepts, one prediction apiece, and then as we always wrap up, with your mailbag questions. Any questions uh, from you to start out here today? That was a phenomenal intro. You, You nailed that one. Thanks, man. It only took me, what, like 24 episodes before you said that?
1: We've done 14 outtakes so far, but that's okay.
0: (laughs) See, normally that would be true, but today it wasn't, hence the uh, outstanding intro. Um, But yeah, so this has been a a really fun week, and I just want to say at the outset, this is something I tweeted a couple of days ago, but uh, my one-year anniversary came up at the site, and honestly, when I realized that, it shocked me, because this has been, truthfully, the the fastest year of my life, which means I've had a lot of fun. Uh, I can't thank anyone more for that than you, so thankfully, you know, of course, the team only lost once during that time um but really it's been a phenomenal ride and, and this
1: podcast has been a huge part of that over the last few months yeah this the team has been so much better with you than, than with jeff rice so i can't thank <laughs> you enough for that but no uh no it's it's been a phenomenal year um for the site and, uh and and everything i mean it's been great but yeah uh penn state has been on a roll um obviously three and zero this year heading to iowa city a warm iowa city it's gonna be uh gonna be an interesting one out there
0: 83 degrees, still not hotter than our current ratings on iTunes. We are still up there with the five stars. Uh, So please, you know, if if you have anything good or bad to say, feel free
1: to find us on there with the ratings for reviews. I I take back everything I just said. Oh, come on! Awful. What do you mean? (laughs) Tell me it's wrong. Okay, you're right. You're right. And continue to rate us on iTunes, and it's been it's been a a trip on there as well because we've been. top five top 10 in terms of college and high school podcasts which is just incredible when you think that we've only been doing this for a few months so thank you for listening and continue to listen and this would be your pregame show yeah
0: you know a credit to you know everyone who's been able to listen and contribute because obviously we would not be there um without them you're in a very
1: thanking mood this week you know
0: like you said at the outset it's been a good week pretty
1: much pretty much for everybody um, Penn State thankful for Saquon Barkley, and he leads our tweet of the week. He did not tweet it, but uh, NFL.com and and we kind of you know folded this into something else. But NFL.com put up a tweet that uh, you know uh, Barkley is better than Ezekiel Elliott in every area. Um, I just thought that was incredible. Uh, I don't necessarily agree 100. percent I think Elliott's the a superior blocker, and you know when you talk about pass protection, he's one of a kind in terms of been through the college game, going to the pros. But yeah, I mean Barkley. He's he's making a name for himself. I mean, he's he's obviously phenomenally talented and he's showing himself uh, he's shown his versatility this year, returning kicks, uh, catching the football. We knew he could catch the football, yeah. but it's apparently caught some people off guard. It's news
0: to people beyond State College in the Big Ten, I think, for certain. And to clarify, that quote about Barkley being better than Ezekiel Elliott in every area uh, was from an anonymous NFL executive. This piece you know, surveyed five of them. It was Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Media. And each executive compared him to a different back, which to me was interesting. You know, We had Elliott, obviously. David Johnson, got to mention. A more explosive Joe Mixon. Or Corey Dillon and then Kareem Hunt, which we both kind of shook our heads at saying, I I think, you know, it's been two games for Kareem Hunt, you know, people have been pleased with him. He's been explosive. We, We all saw that in the opening game of the season. But you know, for now, I think it's it speaks to as you just mentioned Barkley's versatility because these are all five very different backs.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I really didn't think of Corey Dillon until se- someone said something. But yeah, it's, that's not a horrible combination. I think Barkley's got a, a step or two on him, but yeah, and he's also two thirty. Yeah. Like I think we forget about how much power he packs. Yeah, and and a lot of that's lower body, and they mentioned that in the article. Um, you know, his his lower body when he gets going, you know, he's going to grind out an extra yard or two. Um, unfortunately, he hasn't. Quite gotten going, uh, hasn't got going, uh, you know, with the RPOs and everything like that at times. But man, once he gets going, eh, he finds some space. He's tough to bring down.
0: Andre, quote of the week. This happened just earlier today, and we record on Thursdays for the Friday episode, courtesy of Charles Huff, the special teams coordinator and running backs coach. I got to ask him, as I like to a lot of the different coaches, about you know, when you listen to people in the media or in the stands or on Twitter or and anything. They, and they do. They absolutely do. Uh, what's like the biggest misconception that just makes you shake your head and go, this is this is so wrong above everything else that I hear? And Huff was so quick, I don't think I even got to finish the question because he goes, it's when people assume that Saquon Barkley is a greater injury risk when he returns kicks. So the best part of the quote was this. Again, this is from Charles Huff. Quote, He's not blocking anybody. No one's trying to run through him, and 90% of the time when you go to tackle him, you've broken down and tried tackling him just as you would if he ran inside zone. For some reason, though, people think that there's missiles running down there that are going to hit right in the middle of a tank and blow the tank up. We laugh, the staff, when people say that all the time. This misconception that injury level goes way up because it's on kick return, well, the injury level goes up when he's walking to class. We're not idiots. End quote. Now he went on, it didn't end with, We're not idiots. I wish uh, it did. <laughs> it was just so many parts of that, though. I want to go back to the, the part where Barkley is a tank and that their missile's running down there. You know, it just conjures such an image of, you know, um, Joe Julius.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: which is funny because, you know, we mentioned this in, in earlier that quote, he was, No one gets a wide open shot. Like you've got so much room and ability to see who's coming from where that you never get a real shot on the returner. But, you know, Joey Julius did that twice in the first four weeks last year. Um, but, you know, he He's a rare case, I think, particularly for a kicker who Huff said is the only safer player on a kick return
1: than the returner himself. Right, and Huff makes a great point. I mean, these guys aren't running full speed. They're broken down because if you don't break down, he's going to run right by you. So uh, if you're running full speed, you can get a tap on the shoulder and you can end up five yards out of the play. So uh, I don't think the damage is there. I mean, obviously, you're nervous every time he goes back there because, you know— the wrong thing goes the wrong way. We've seen guys hurt on, on kickoff returns before, and somebody could take a shot, you know, a cheap right. shot at him. Uh, I think it increases on, on kickoffs, no doubt. But, yeah, uh, I, I agree with him. I mean, he's not going to get uh, – well, I'm not going to say that. But he's not uh, – I'm really curious. He's not, he's not putting himself at more risk. Uh, being a kick returner than he is just being a regular position player. No,
0: the only added risk comes from taking an additional snap, but you're not going to lower your snap count for the, your best player and arguably the best co- player in college football because the sport is inherently dangerous. Mm. I mean, everyone is partaking in that and, and subject to injury. Uh, the other part about this that that I liked was that you know he he admitted you know of course the guys who are blocking up front for him absolutely you know they're in the way trying to stop a car when you're looking at trying to stop these coverage guys. And Barkley though you know it, it, you want to have him back there, and I think initially when we questioned this. Undoubtedly, it was the second half Akron. Penn State's up 35 to nothing. There goes Barkley returning the only kick that the Zips would have that entire game. And the issue was the cost You know, potential cost of this way outweighs the benefit, as we saw, again, mostly related to injury risk. Because even if he returns it for a touchdown, congrats, you're up 42 to nothing instead of 35. But now I think we understand a little bit more where they were coming from, not only just for the sake of getting him a rep, but the fact that Franklin
1: didn't tell us two two weeks later, yeah, he's been our starting kick returner since the beginning of camp. Yeah, and that was pretty funny because when I asked around, it was sort of – Pushed away and we're quiet about that and thought Miles Sanders was going to be the guy based on what he did at the end of last season. Um, if he you know picked up those fumbling or put down those fumbling issues, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's another rep. They're trying to put him in the Heisman race. All-purpose yards are going to matter, and if you can rip off 40 or 50 all-purpose yards at one time, you're going to do it. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with him back there, and I and I get what you're saying in terms of being back there against Akron and Georgia State, of course, only two kicks in in each of in in, in those games combined, but he needs to, to learn reps to learn how to read his blocks and go.
0: Yeah. And like I said, particularly if he's the starter, you absolutely need the reps, but if you were an occasional kind of spot returner, that's why it didn't seem to make sense. You know, when you would be normally giving those reps to Miles Sanders, lo and behold, it looks like, Sanders might not get any kick return reps uh, unless it's at the end of a blowout. Now, Penn State hitting the road. You've already hit the road this week. Part of our recruiting update, Micah Parsons officially donning his uh – army all-american jersey he'll partake in that at the turn of the new year you were there for that but there's plenty
1: other news in uh, penn state recruiting yeah first off parsons army all-american uh it's something he stuck with which he was selected very early obviously he's been on the radar forever but uh, he was selected very early stuck with it uh under armor came after him but he wanted to stick with the army game he's got some family in the army actually his uncle came up from virginia i believe uh to, to present him with the jersey, which is actually a pretty cool moment. But uh yeah, I mean I talked to Micah the other day, nothing really changed from what we said la- uh excuse me earlier this week. Uh, Penn state's still right there. He's going to come out with a top four, which, you know, if you're, if you're asking is probably Penn state, Ohio state, Georgia, and Nebraska going to visit uh, Nebraska. His dad mentioned visiting Georgia as well. So I think you can read between the lines there, but yeah, I, th- I think he'll be back at Penn state. Um, you know, make a decision later this fall probably. And I think Penn state uh, is going to have a decision to make on their end as well. So, um, uh, in terms of recruiting, I mean, we're talking the same thing about 2018 over and over again. You yeah, defensive ends. The three defensive linemen, yeah, Tyreek Smith, Parsons, and Jason Owe, of course. And I, I don't know. I feel like I'm just repeating myself and repeating myself. There's just no space. I mean, I, I know people don't want to believe me and says there's always space, but that's just not the case. They're already going to be over the 85 limit, that, and they're going to have some attrition that's going to come down next year. So... I just don't know where they're gonna go from here. You've got targets that have been top targets from the outset, like Rashid Walker and, and Quantel Reigns and those guys. Mm. I mean, I, I just don't I, I don't get it. So I mean I am not sure where that where that space is gonna come from. But on to 2019, uh Penn State right now, is sort of fishing with offers is what we call it. You know, they're they're offering some of the top guys in the country right now. Uh very busy in Missouri this week, offered a guy from Georgia uh or earlier on Thursday today. Um, so what they're doing there is it's, it's not that they're more interested in these guys out of the region than they are into the region. Sure. But If you can get an elite guy to sort of bite on that, to show some early interest, to strike up a relationship, potentially take an official visit down the road or, or come up for camp next summer, which is something that they've done in the 2018 class and 2019 class already. If you can plant that seed with those guys, you got a shot offers mean very little anymore, uh, in terms of, uh, written offers, verbal off, whatever. I mean, it, there's just not that that important um, other than saying, hey, you have a scholarship opportunity here and here. We know about you. We, we want to be interested in you. You saw last year, I think, Alabama had 250, 300-some offers out. 250, 300 kids are not going to Alabama. So. Yeah, Minnesota's made plenty of noise as soon as P.J. Fleck got
0: there, but the number they've sent out. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it, basically, you're just fishing at this point. You put a little bait on the hook, throw it out to, to California or Texas or Missouri in this case. Georgia is a spot they want to hit. Florida is obviously a spot where they got a couple commits from. So, just trying to generate that interest and and get a little reciprocal interest from these these prospects. So, that's what they're doing right now. The 2019 class is going to be a smaller class based on, on what we're looking at coming back next year and the following year. So, uh, I think they're just going to try and, and shoot as high as they can. And if, if that doesn't work out, maybe come back around to that six hour radius that we talk about so often. Pennsylvania, as we mentioned before, right. not great in 2019. They've already got Keaton Ellis. And, you know, they're probably only going to offer maybe one, two, three more in Pennsylvania, which is crazy when you think about, uh, you know, what Pennsylvania has been able to do over the years. So, um, you look outside the the uh, outside the region first, you come back home, you, you offer New England, you offer New Jersey, Virginia, and you stay in that area and, and build from there. So if you can get that interest in from out of the region, great. If not, you, you got a pretty good footprint to go from.
0: And no better week, I think, too, than when you're on national television against Iowa. You know, if you're, you're going out of the region and there's an opportunity to say, I hey, just really recently had an offer. Here's a game that's going to be broadcast across the country. And it might not be a top five matchup. not might not be Michigan or Ohio State. But that exposure and that timing is is right there to kind of drive your point home. Of This is a chance for you to be in the spotlight. And presumably, if Penn State comes away with a win, to have
1: success. And that sounds kind of stupid, but it's not. I mean, it, it's right on point. I mean, I thank I mean, you for the second stupid. part of that. Jeez. But, but, it, but it, sound, it sounds ridiculous, right, to think that, hey, you know, we're going to uh, take our recruiting strategy and ramp it up during weeks that we're on prime time or whatever. It sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's no, it's not the center of the strategy, if, but, if it, but it helps. Look, yeah, peripherally, it's, it, it's about branding. It's about marketing. You know, Penn State when they play on in prime time when they they get you in front of the whiteout or the student section. You, you know, all of a sudden these kids are like, "Oh, okay, I see what's going on here." If you looked at the. Um, if you looked at the offer tweets or whatever from the guys, they've got that Marcus Allen picture uh, from the pit game where he's uh, just got the safety. I mean, that's that's a branded image for these kids. I mean, yeah. Marcus Allen is a, is, a, is a celebrity in his own in terms of Instagram and Twitter or whatever. But when, when you can put something like that with the program and brand it with the program, I mean, it's a fantastic recruiting tool.
0: Sounded a little old there omitting Snapchat. He's big, he's big
1: on snap. I am so old, and you know that. So I'm not <laughs> even sure what the Snapchat is. All right,
0: well, before you nap on us, we'll switch segments here to when Penn State has the ball. You know, it's easy when you have a game that is a rematch within the last 12 months. Of course, Penn State beating Iowa 41-14 to last year at Beaver Stadium. A big game right after the Ninety Lions got their number 12 ranking in the college football playoff. They drive that home with a big win. But it's it's a temptation I think we ought to resist here because there are so many different factors you know, that have changed since that time in November from when they last met. The one thing though that I would want to carry over and see how Penn State sets the tone early in Iowa City is this stat. Nearly seventy-five percent of all offensive plays that Penn State ran a year ago were runs. Fifty-two rushes to eighteen passes. Now part of that was of course a read component of their RPOs and giving the handoff against Iowa who's typically in a two high shell, which means they only have six, you know, at sometimes five guys in the box so you're going to run against that but they felt they had an edge they were able to control the game in the trenches and it all started with the running game now most of the components of Penn State's offensive line are back same thing for Iowa's you know defensive front all three linebackers most of the defensive linemen
1: so if they feel like they have that edge I think they're going to go right back to that well yeah I think you kind of have to I mean you saw Penn State ran circles around them last year I mean they, they looked Iowa looked slow I mean you don't say that about too many big 10 teams and of course the stereotype is there but Iowa looked slow compared to Penn State last year, and, and and they didn't load the box. But Penn State still got outside them, and Barkley just torched them. So um, I, I just look back to last year, and what you mentioned earlier, I don't think it can carry over. It didn't carry over a week for Iowa. They came back and beat Michigan the next week yep. at Kinnick at night, which makes you you know a little bit worried if you're Penn State fan. Right, so I think moving forward, again, when Penn State has the ball, something to look for will be that heavy
0: dose of a run game. Again, they won't be just straight runs. They've only got a couple of those, but RPOs, read runs, I think they're going to target those linebackers who, who are a solid group. You know, Josie Jewell, we were talking again with Charles Huff earlier today, said not from a physical standpoint, but just his impact on the game and his leadership reminds him a lot of Mike Hull. You know, th- those images of Hull just always being in the thick of things, I think you're accurate,
1: and you're talking about a guy in Jewell who is a preseason first-team All-American. Yeah, he knows where he's at on every play, and he, and he- he gets to that spot and and you mentioned he's not overwhelming physically whatsoever, but you know, he's always around the football. He, he, you know, he, he can manage to make turnovers, create turnovers. I think he's a, he's just a top notch football player and I'm I'm excited to watch Jewel play, but yeah, that, that defense is going to be your Iowa defense they are going to be solid. They're going to be in the right spots. I, I don't know that they're as physically talented as some of the defenses Penn State will see, but at the same time, I mean, this offensive line needs to take a step back forward after I think the last two weeks And I think getting Brandon Mann back is is going to be a big deal.
0: It's going to be huge. And I think the other part of Iowa looking so slow is that you've got – Significant mismatches, some of the largest in the country, at tight end running back. You know, when you're saying hey, you're slower than Saquon Barkley, well, congrats, that accounts for about 99.5% of people on the planet. 25? <laughs> Probably 99.999999. Nine, 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 nine. Okay. But so it, it's really not fair to say that, even in the context of college football. And same with Mike Gasicki, because again, those those linebackers are going to be foremost responsible for containing Barkley and Gasicki with the type of defense that Iowa plays. A lot of zone coverage games we mentioned too high, and they're going to be subject of those RPOs. So I, I think you'll see Penn they go back to that well what you really want to look for I think is just the middle of that offensive line because again they'll get their double teams and in their inside zone game and then they'll need to reach that linebacker so they can lock up against you know Josie Jewell their best player you know it's game over um, they wanted to start fast a year ago they were able to do that I'm not sure it happens again on the road because it's going to be such a different environment again a new center with Connor McGovern you know they're shifting back some parts in the offensive line you know it's an experienced group but again they haven't seen this in almost nine months and even at the Rose Bowl you know slightly more favored USC crowd but certainly not the noise you're going to have at Kinnick so That'll affect them most offensively. They've been practicing with noise. The other part I'll say when Penn State has the ball, there's a new free safety coming in for Iowa. They've had to shift around. They'll probably have a three safety rotation uh, and a young corner that they're going to go after. I like Josh Jackson, who actually had a block kick for Iowa last week against North Texas. Very athletic kid. They've got some experience at strong safety. They're going to target them again with some third-level RPOs, and they're going to want to go deep when they do pass the ball. But it all starts up front for me, and again, and
1: and how they read and control those linebackers. Yeah, Penn State hasn't gone down the field very much in the first three weeks of the season haven't had to really yeah so I mean I'm excited to see that sort of work its way out and and I think Josicki is going to be key you mentioned he can find himself in a mismatch pretty quickly every snap yeah and, and Jawan Johnson is a guy that we haven't talked about much because he hasn't done I think 12 targets so far caught seven seven of them and uh, I, I think he can make a difference down the field this week uh, more so than the first three weeks so I think that'll be probably the difference, is getting the ball down the field. I think uh, Trace's legs, also a big deal, um, because when he, when he was able to, and this, this was in the spot last year where he was able to start making those right reads and, and ripping off chunks at a time. So his legs, and, and he throws so well on the run. We saw it last week with Barkley, but he can push the ball down the field on the yes. run as well.
0: So seven catches on 12 targets for John Johnson. Where'd you read that?
1: Your target story this week, I think, was fascinating, because... They're spreading the ball around like crazy, and and Jacekio is eleven of twelve in terms of targets. Um, he's, he's been near the line of scrimmage for the most part, but at the same time, um, you know you've got guys that are catching the football. You don't have overwhelming numbers for any of those receivers, but Tompkins has been solid. Of course, Barkley is is right there. Hamilton's been been right there as well. So uh, I, I just uh, I, I don't know that we're going to see the spreading of the wealth as much anymore. I mean, no. you're out of the non-conference schedule. You're going to settle into those, uh, those weapons and see what, what happens from there.
0: Yeah, here's part of that article too. Tommy Stevens has had four targets. Uh, That's just one less than Saeed Blackdahl and Brandon Polk. So I don't think we'll continue to see that. You could see the two-quarterback package, but to wrap up again this segment when Penn State has the ball, Juwan Johnson's an interesting name not only for the 7 out of 12 catches in terms of total targets, which is not entirely on his shoulders, but I think at some point in this game, particularly if Penn State starts slowly, they're going to need to have a third down. A must-have. Gotta get it done. Third and medium to third and long. Chris Godwin, as we mentioned, God knows how many times on this podcast got it done for penn state in those must-have situations johnson must be able to step up and you know we saw a two-minute drill at the end of wednesday's practice which does not have any bearing on the outcome of this game but you saw they had some struggles there and, and didn't necessarily go a whole lot to johnson i think he's a one-on-one matchup that you have to take advantage of and penn state will look his way yeah now in terms of one-on-one matchups for iowa acromodley we mentioned this monday you know he's going to be ready to go i don't know if he'll be a hundred percent but
1: he's going to play and, and this guy can do it all yeah, he's a, he's a fantastic back. We talked about that uh, before. He's going to be a little bit slowed. I don't have any doubt about that. But at the same time, he's not only a guy that's going to run the ball between the tackles. I think he scored on a screen last year, uh, late in the game. He's a, he's he's a dangerous res- receiver as well. So, uh, yeah, I think he's a guy that can do it all. And uh, there's a, there's a bit of a drop off there. They they've got some good backs behind him, but there's a bit of a drop off. Uh, you know, they move. I think down to a red shirt freshman then as well. So uh, and then a true freshman from New Jersey. So. Um. yeah, he, I think he's he's going to be key because I, I don't think the Iowa quarterback is going to beat you on his own. But you know, uh, if you can bottle up Wadley, you've got a really good chance of keeping those points off the board because I don't think this is an offense that with or without Wadley can score with Penn State. And the thing you need to know
0: most about this offense is that their greatest weapon is just just churn out long drives. You know they're going to take a couple of shot plays. Nate Stanley, the quarterback you mentioned, ten touchdowns, one interception against the competition of Wyoming, North Texas, and Iowa State. And he hasn't really hit the ball deep downfield just yet. But they've had a number of near misses. As I went on with uh, John McGonigal, the Center of Daily Times earlier this week in their podcast, and was just describing you know how many times they've come so close for these big plays. But when you look at the plays that they've completed through the year, the two longest are both to wide. And those are those quick catch and run, one for 68 yards, another for 46. And when you look at the top seven big plays Iowa's had this season, Wadley accounts for five of them. So it starts with him, but I wouldn't totally give up on Stanley in the deep ball because, again, it's just been off the fingertips here, just to step out of bounds there, where normally they would complete them. But Wadley is absolutely where you start. And I think you see that most with the run game, obviously. And we've talked about this on Monday. Iowa's run game. Come down largely to their outside zone and their inside zone. You know, and the way we'll be able to recognize that is you'll see the offensive linemen moving in unison pretty much laterally. Their first step is not forward but to the side, the back going running along parallel, and then at some point making a cutback into a crease that's been created by one of the linemen winning one on one. So they're accounting for a gap, not so much a particular defender. And for Penn State to solve that, it really comes down to discipline and maintaining your leverage in your gaps, because again, where the space is created is when you leave that and then Wadley spots it, cuts back. And as we've seen a couple of times this season, can go to the house.
1: The front seven is really going to have to step up for Penn State this week. They've been, you know, I don't want to call them soft, but in the last couple of weeks, they just haven't gotten it done uh, fully. So uh, those three linebackers, if you've been on the boards at all this week, they've been brutal to the linebacker uh, to 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 Kabinda and Farmer and, and Bowen. So those guys got to make those, got to finish those plays. I think they're in position a lot, but they, they they definitely have to finish those plays as tacklers.
0: Now, in terms of what I would expect from Iowa this week, you know, again, it's going to be that same approach. They want to burn clock and shorten this game because they know they're you know a half point underdog but, at home. The pit approach, yeah. right? You know, the pit approach. And it of, worked, yeah. Yeah, and what I would also see from them is, you know, I mentioned the inside outside zone game. We mentioned pin and pull again against Pitt, a run that Penn State has struggled with uh, against the Panthers, and then Georgia State ran it a couple of times with success. Again, that's an outside zone where you just have a couple couple of pulling linemen ahead so i will run some of that to counter what they normally do and then we'll also have some counter runs where instead of wildly following the blockers who are all going in one direction he'll bounce back the other way i think you'll see more of these two runs against penn state for two reasons one it's going to be a tendency breaker from the previous three games where we saw a lot of their base stuff again inside outside zone one other play and that's about it um and then because i think You've seen Penn State, as you mentioned, their front seven, not been so much soft. They've rallied to the ball, but they've missed tackles. So the way to take advantage of an aggressive front seven is, again, start the action one way and then cut it back and take advantage of that aggression where you're tapping one extra step too far. So I think if, if I was going to break a big play, it's going to stem from either one of those counters to their base stuff, kind of a changeup, or... Penn State broke discipline and broke down somewhere, and then that's where you see Wadley going off to the end zone.
1: And we don't expect Torrance Brown to play this week, and that's no, going to be a that's big huge. deal. He's been, he's been Penn State's probably best defensive end against the run so far this year, so not having him is going to be a big deal. Penn State showed some things against Pitt, which I think are worrisome. Not, you know, I don't see Iowa coming out and doing the shovel pass thing, but if you can no. get Wadley the ball like that, he's going to be trouble. So uh, just. It, it, Penn State's going to have to stay on their toes, you know, stay on balance, and avoid that counterplay.
0: We mentioned uh, some pass catchers on Monday. Nick Easley leads the Hawkeyes with 16 receptions. He's a former Juke All-American. You know, His matchup on the outside is going to be very interesting. The other player outside of Wadley and Easley I'll leave you with is tight end Noah Fant. He has seven receptions this year. More of an athletic tight end. Not going to block you know, anyone really down to the ground. But all of his receptions have either gone for first downs or touchdowns. So this is a player that Stanley obviously trusts in big situations. He's come up big for them and again he was one of those guys as I mentioned Stanley's taking shots deep and the ball just goes off his fingertips barely overthrown the look to him at different levels of the field I would watch him particularly in the red zone and just like in the past couple of games I think red zone defense is going to be so paramount for Penn State because of Iowa's ability to turn out these long
1: drives yeah uh, going back to the matchups as we get into three matchups two concepts one prediction uh McSorley and the Iowa linebackers. I don't think there's any any doubt, you know, th- this Iowa group is a, is a really good solid group all around. McSorley in my eyes is is going to have to get it done with his feet, which he's done, you know, to to date and he's going to have to be, you know, he's going to have to be a little bit more accurate in those short little if he's trying to dump it over in the zone. He's trying to dump it over those linebackers in front of the safeties. He's definitely going to be more accurate than he has been.
0: Mm -hmm. Second concept for me, um, Penn State's outside linebackers against Wadley. You know, not only for the reasons we mentioned, just the discipline, but tackling has been an issue for them. Manny Bowen's up to around 10 missed tackles for the season. Cole Farmer, Jason Gabenda, you know, a little bit further behind. But collectively, you know, they have to do a better job against this. I think they will. You know, they did so well against this scheme a year ago at home, just 49 rushes for Wadley and LaShawn Daniels who left for the NFL. Um, But they've got to keep you know, the edge is strong and they've got to wrap up when they have them because, again, he's been so dangerous. The last one, you know, I just mentioned it offensively. Nick Easley against Penn State's cornerbacks. He's not an overwhelming talent, but he's really crafting what they ask him to do. A lot of bubble screens, some quick outs, some action off of play action. You know, he'll see Grant Haley and Christian Campbell, who's a little bit bigger. If they're able to get a lockdown on Easley, I think it's going to make life really hard for Stanley and I think they feel they have a lot of confidence there so perhaps you see a little bit more
1: man coverage. Penn State has played the bubble screen in the short uh, the line of scrimmage passes tremendously well Uh, so far this season they come up and they blow it up and and allow somebody an outside linebacker or a safety to get in there and make that tackle so not really concerned about that. Um, they've, they've also slipped a lot, so I yeah. mean, and, and that's obviously not always their fault. But at the same time, you can't let these guys move the chains. As we mentioned, Iowa's going to try and string together these long drives, keep the, balls out of, keep the ball out of Penn State's offense's hands. And uh, they, they've shown in the past that they can do that. I mean, they can be successful like that. So uh, you're going up against an experienced coach who's going to want to protect the football uh, and, and pick and choose when they take the shots down the field. And I think that's the biggest thing when you're talking about the corners who have played well. You know, they got to stick with these guys down the field.
0: Two concepts. I mentioned one of them already, that stretch zone. You're going to see it time and time again. I mean, people who watch, you know, the Broncos, the late 90s, a lot of the Colts in the mid-2000s with Peyton Manning, Edron James, Joseph all those teams, and, you know, a lot of teams in college and NFL right now have run that outside stretch zone where you're just looking for one cutback and go. I was going to run it all the time. For Penn State, a concept this week is going to be the power read, which is a different run where if you think about power as a normal concept, it's basically you've got a backside guard pulling around ahead of a running back, and then the frontside blockers kind of pin the defenders on that side inward. You know, for Penn State, this changes up a little bit where you're making a read on that front side. So McSorley is looking at the area where he might hand off to Barkley or take it himself. So either McSorley will go inside – Or Barkley will follow that guard from the backside around the edge. And the reason I mention this run, it's one of Penn State's base runs, is that they used it 10 times last year against Iowa for 149 yards so you'll recognize it again when there's a read component typically McSorley's looking at a second level defender and then a guard pulling around from the backside to block it up full for the defensive end who's left alone so as much as that play side backside guard all that stuff might have been a little bit confusing look for the single pulling guard away from where the play starts and that will be the power read and I think Penn State has to go back to this we mentioned you know that they dominated last year and 149 of those yards came on this one play
1: yeah absolutely you know and some of that has to do with the blowout and the situation down into and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, Penn State was able to impose its will last year, which is something we haven't seen this year. Uh,
0: one bold prediction: you are bolder than I this week, so lead us off.
1: I, I think Penn State trails at halftime, and I could be very, very wrong about this. And, and I, I'm sure you guys listening hope that I'm very, very wrong about this. Penn State has outscored teams 84 to three in the first half this year. I don't think that says much considering you know Georgia State and Akron and and Akron again. Um, but uh, yeah, I just am uh, am curious how they're going to handle the atmosphere. You mentioned how long it has been since they've been away from Beaver or from, since they've been away from Beaver Stadium for a game. Um so I'm I'm really interested to see how Penn State handles the night game situation in a tough environment um in a place that I think is is sort of going to to, to buckle down. I mean they're not going to do anything crazy on offense or defense but it's going to be a solid football team that's going to take care of the football and you know Penn State at times has made mistakes on the road early in the game and you know we saw last year that you know they're not uh, impervious to that that halftime deficit.
0: Not at all. My bold prediction, we're going to see four Iowa drives go at least 10 plays. They've done this against Wyoming. They did it against North Texas. And I think they're going to do it again to Penn State, who has rendered a number of long series already to Pitt in Georgia State it's been an issue for Penn State to kind of force and make that big play I think they could be more aggressive defensively as I wrote earlier on this week but Iowa's going to do what they do best and that's turn out some clock and really run these four long drives and it's going to be a matter of what Penn State does at the end if they allow touchdowns we're talking about a tight game in the fourth quarter and provided they don't turn the ball over offensively Uh, if they hold them to field goals Penn State gets an early grip on this game and I think they win solidly I think 12 and a half points for an Iowa team that that beats top five competition at home speaks volumes Uh, but we don't know because again this This is is such a different environment. And, you know, there are younger players playing really key roles. You mentioned Torrance Brown. I'm surprised it's taken us this long to really delve into that. Brown's not going to play. We're going to see a number of younger defensive ends who are really going to have to play with discipline. Shane Simmons, Eter Grossmato, Shaka Tony, who played great against Georgia State. But it's a different offense and it's a different level of competition. And that could be an area where it comes back to bite them uh, towards the end. I wouldn't say you need to be worried about it. But certainly another area if we had a fourth matchup, uh, Penn State's defensive ends, an area to
1: watch. All right, on to the mailbag. We uh, you one, got something? one more thing. Yeah, last year uh, Iowa was two of ten on third down, and yeah. this year Penn State giving up thirty six percent a third down conversions. They need to get off the field, uh, and that goes back to what you were saying. If Penn State's going to be successful, they got to tackle and get off the field.
0: All right, mailbag offense. Uh, this was actually sent to me uh, by a friend on Monday asking about the offensive line, and this echoed a lot of. Questions we had earlier. You know, this offensive line was supposed to be significantly improved. What happened? Can they dominate on Saturday? I wrote about this in my TILA tape after the Georgia State game. Two issues that cropped up, which shouldn't happen at Iowa. Steven Gonzalez playing right guard. He certainly looked out of position, was not able to use his power as much as we've seen at left guard. And then Will Fry is making his first start, you know, also out of position. Normally left tackle, inside a guard. He did a fine job, but not what you would normally expect from a Big Ten team that's, you know, particularly slotted in the top five. So, that will be fixed with the return of Brendan Mann, he will be a right guard. Steven Gonzalez go back to left. Otherwise, the issues that Penn State had against Georgia State were 10 of their 21 rushes behind the first-team offensive line, went for three yards or fewer, were really scattered across the board. I mean, I mentioned Gonzalez and Fries. Ryan Bates also had some issues. Connor McGovern wasn't perfect, and same with Chaz Wright. But, you know, it wasn't so much they're getting out-schemed. I know we love to talk about the longer reads of these RPOs and how that might invite tackles for loss. That's not an issue here because the reads are essentially blocking a defensive player. And if they're going to blitz, then it's an easy read for McSorley to throw. But what's happening here is just everyone across the board you know, has room to improve. And we saw that happen all at once against Georgia State, which for me just goes back to my point that I made in the offseason. Expectations are really high for this group. We, you should all lower them. Because this was not a group looking to go from good to great. It's a group looking to go from below average in terms of national perspective to good. And I think they're still getting there. The potential certainly higher. They have a lot of continuity from last year. But they're still growing, developing, getting those reps. So I think they'll be better against Iowa.
1: But it, it will be a much tougher scenario than they last saw against Georgia State. Yeah, I think man's going to make a big difference there. Uh, especially running the football. He's, he's their most physical guy up front. Um, that's why they put him back at guard. So... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm. I can see the concern. I, I know where it comes from, but I think it, it might just be a bit of an early overreaction. You know, based on who Penn State has played, so uh, you'd like to see them move more guys, and I think there's merit to that. But at the same time, I think it's a good group. I think they'll be okay. Yep. Big boys too. That was something Kirk Ferentz noted saying they are just huge. They are a much bigger offensive line than Penn State is used to having. I mean, it's closer to one of those old Iowa lines with Robert Gallery or whatever, or one of the Wisconsin lines. I mean, they got throwbacks. Some, yeah, hey, he's, he was a good player, man. He was a really good player, and I, I'm not sure what all went into that. Those Iowa offensive lines, as we saw a couple years later, a lot but of that, corn. Yeah, a lot of corn or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that they're they're getting there. Um, I'm interested to see the difference between Wright and Nelson. Um, you watched the tape this week. I don't know if there's anything that jumped out to you, but obviously Wright, uh, a little bit of a different style offensive tackle than, than Nelson Uh what do you think? Yeah, Nelson had a, a tough start, and I think it was one of those, let's just kind of let
0: Chaz go from here, because they weren't getting the play they wanted out of Andrew Nelson. You know, he knows what's expected of him, had a false start, you know, didn't really dominate as you'd expect. But again, within seven snaps, there's only so much you can do. So Penn State got a big lead. They're going to rely on him late. I asked him just the other day, are you 100%? He says yes, and he says he feels better than he did when he was leading up to the pit game, which of course was his first action of the season. So I think you'll see, you know, still that rotation between the two of them, uh, but it was a case of he was... Seeing every third series and when that series came up not only was it a short drive but he did not make the most of it so it was at that point saying you know what when it came up for that ninth drive and it was his turn again let's just let chad go out and finish this it, the game's already in the bag uh and that's exactly what they did
1: 100 percent, except for his hearing as he said on Wednesday. yeah how about that
0: he he, <laughs> he was telling us that you know when the, the crowd really gets going or for whatever reason there's a ton of noise he gets this ringing or the separate noise only in his left ear and i said Wait, that should be a real problem, huh? Because as a right tackle, you know your teammate closest to you is on your left, and then the quarterback is a little bit farther away. Speaking into that, here and he goes, "Yeah, that's why you see me stand up and turn, almost do an about face to look back to the quarterback to hear what's going on." So, you know, it was a funny tidbit this week. I mean, he had a ton of them, including you know stuff that has gone on our boards and lit up Twitter and all this different stuff about Rutgers. he, yeah, Ruckers, man. <laughs> I mean, we had we we even skipped uh, White Boy Wednesday, which is how they decide what music is going to be played after. Turn up Tuesday, throwback Thursday, salsa Saturday for Steven Gonzalez. Uh, but of course, yeah, what do we want to talk about?
1: Re- reading the facial expressions of Chris Peterson, the sports information uh, director man. for football, while he was up was just, it was hysterical. And she knows what she's getting with, with Andrew. He's a, he's a funny kid. He's hes just a good guy. A, oh, shucks kind of guy. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was funny to hear. But anyway, we're on to our next mailbag.
0: Yeah, sure. well, a lot of truth telling. I'll just wrap up with the, the Rutgers note for people who missed it. Nelson said when they played at Rutgers in 2014 his bad hearing aside could not hear Brian Gaia who then was the right guard talking to him as they were less than two feet away because of the noise. And he only assumed the records had been pumping noise in. You know, we joked, you joked about NJ.com getting a hold of that quote. I have a friend who actually works there. I sent it to him. They can do whatever they'd like. You know, I think it makes sense to me. Writing an outrage column seems yeah. to be the,
1: the, the theme of the week there. Yeah.
0: Whatever happens, you know the, they
1: gotta cover football they, somehow. Yeah.
0: So Andrew Nelson assuming that and it caught us all off guard, Chris included. Uh but you know it was a funny nugget. So yeah, moving on. Uh Millbag any surprise at the lack of deep balls lately from Trace McSorley?
1: We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. I do not They haven't had to go to that well. I would have liked to have seen it a little bit more just based mm-hmm. on getting Juwan Johnson and, and Tompkins some reps. They, of course, Blacknell had the long touchdown last week, which, by the way, tracking that ball was was a phenomenal play. I mean it just you could see him do that, uh, you know, make those adjustments in the air. He did a phenomenal job. So, uh I don't know if we'll see a little bit more of him moving forward, but you know, they 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 certainly have the weapons to do so. But yeah, throwing the ball down the field, uh you, you pick and choose your shots. Penn State, uh, you know, w- when the team is going to sell out to stop Barkley, that's when they're going to take it and I, I hate to say when you need it. You didn't need it against Georgia State, you didn't need it against Akron. You you really didn't need it that much against Pittsburgh. So are they holding something back? I I tend to think so.
0: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me so much. Again, against Georgia State, it was such a limited snap count. Only 52 plays for the offense, a similar number for Akron. Um, and even Pitt for that matter. So they're going to take what the defense gives them. Georgia State played two high safeties the entire game, rarely blitz. So you're going to take a lot of stuff that's underneath, which isn't to say they don't take shots. Again, they carved up Iowa with only 18 passes. A lot of them, more than half of them, which were more than 10 yards down the field. So they'll take their shots. But, you know, again, when you got a guy like Saquon Barkley, you're going to give him the ball. And they only had one, you know, perhaps zero, depending on how you want to measure it, real deep ball against Georgia State. That will definitely change. It's, it's still been a boomer bust kind of passing game so far far but you'll see that more often you know if i'm surprised if i'm not it doesn't really matter we know what's going to come from this offense and a big part of that is a deep ball
1: yeah 11 completions for 240 yards last year for penn state that's they're going to go down the field this week
0: yep uh last question for this week will barkley's carry will (laughs) let me restart will barkley's carries increase in big 10 play
1: i think so Uh, and i'm i'm hesitant to say that because you know I think they're more about touches right now. I mean, you're trying to get him the ball any way you can, whether that might just be a you know a pass out in the flat, or as we saw last week a checkdown in which he can do anything with because he's Superman. But yeah, I think his touches will go up. Whether that means carries or not, it's hard to say. You know the offense so well in terms of the RPO, where you know he could have games where he's going to have 25 carries. He's gonna gonna have games where he can have 15 carries, but those touches can still start to even out. So. I think it goes up a little bit. Um, I don't think it's going to be any crazy number. You know, you're know, not going to lean on him as a workhorse that's going to carry the ball 35 times. But yeah. yeah, I think his numbers will go up.
0: Yeah, it's funny this question got asked because I had the same question posed to me by one of our media brethren before Wednesday's practice. And it was just a matter of, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I think the number isn't so much the total number of carries or touches that Barkley receives. It's the rate of carries or touches he receives per snap. Because as I just mentioned, they have not seen the field a whole lot as an offense, and particularly as a first team offense because of these blowout so when you look at oh we only had 14 carries in the last game or even fewer you know touches in in other contests it's just a matter of they haven't seen the whole field a lot and when they do if he's getting doubled or they're showing blitz they're going to go elsewhere and that's fine but I think there are plays that we will see in the playbook that will be you know more geared towards Barkley that they'll deploy against Iowa just as they did a year ago a lot of teams have been paying a whole lot of attention to the wheel route Pitt included so they've got counters for that you'll see them and you'll see more Barkley because you will just see more of this first team offense um so they'll definitely increase in big 10 play they know what they have in him they want to get him a Heisman trophy you know it's just a matter of playing more games and playing more competitive games and I think both of
1: those are going to happen starting Saturday speaking of playing more games we're off to play our own games and you're going to Iowa for the weekend Mm -hmm. What what are you looking forward to most about Iowa City
0: uh, honestly, I have a really good friend of mine from home who just graduated pharmacy school in Iowa. So she has four years of experience of going out and enjoying the nightlife and knowing downtown. So I've got a full scanning report there that I'm going to kick out uh, Friday night. So if you see me or select a few other writers downtown, feel free to say hello. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, just the atmosphere of at Kinnick. You, you hear so much, and even James Franklin was you know, telling us on Tuesday, you want to know so much about it going into it to prepare, but also just to acknowledge the experience that you have. And and. As a fan of football, as someone within college football, it's a special place. It's someplace I've never been before. So I think those two, I mean, regardless of the game, are just going to be fun unto themselves.
1: And the new tradition with the Children's Hospital, I think, yes. is one of the coolest things I've seen in college football in the last couple of years. And, you know, hopefully that, that, that continues to, to go on strong. You said we're both playing games. What games are you playing back home? Well, I'm probably going to golf or something while you're gone or something like that. So. I
0: think I see Nate Bauer, a partner in your future. Is he's, that
1: true? He will be the first to tell you he's playing golf in Iowa. So. Oh, okay, because he'll be making trips. All right,
0: cool. Well, uh, shoot well. I will see you back on Sunday. We will record the next episode of this podcast. Uh, we'll have our final score predictions up Saturday morning, so see those on the site. And otherwise, thanks for joining us for another episode of Lions 24 7 podcast.
1: Iowa, Iowa, Iowa.